I want you to turn to the book of Esther. The book of Esther, I've been preaching a series of sermons out of the book of Esther. We'll continue on with that today. Turn, if you will, to chapter 8. The last time we were in chapter 6, and rather than take the time to read all of chapter 7, I'll just reflect back on it a little bit in the message this morning. And uh, I hope that you've been encouraged by this study from the Word of God. And especially if you're going through trying times or faced with challenges, this is the book for you because it tells us that God watches over his own and takes care of his people. And the Lord certainly has proven that time and time again to us individually, but now we see it being fulfilled in the word of God. The last time I I spoke on the turning point in chapter 6, And uh, of course, it was the time where that everything started to turn. Uh, Haman's plot is now revealed to Haman, but not revealed to the king. So the plot has now turned around in the sense that the one that Haman wanted to destroy, instead of being destroyed, has now been placed on the king's horse. He's been led by Haman through the streets of the city and he has been given the royal apparel of the king and he is noted of the fact that he is the one that the king is honoring and that the king will always honor those that honor him. And that's the principle of that message. That's when everything starts to turn in our life. When we begin to understand, even though we face problems and sometimes situations that seem impossible to change. As long as we honor God, God will always honor us. And we realize that quicker than what people that are not of faith realize it because they don't see the end result. But God sees the end as though it was. That means before we ever start into it, God already sees the good ending of all of it. And he's brought us to a place where he gives us an expected end. Nothing surprises God. You hear me say it a lot from this pulpit. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? God is always aware of all things and he is watching over his people even though this plot has been devised and the reason that it was devised to destroy the Jewish people is because one Jew, Mordecai, was such a threat to Haman and he was such a threat to his power that he thought to get to Haman, uh, to get to Mordecai, Haman thought I've got to take care of all of the Jews and that's where that we left you on the last message. Today, in chapter eight, let's look in chapter eight together. Chapter eight, and uh, I might just make reference to some of these verses, read just a couple of verses to you, and we'll be looking at the references down through the entire chapter. Chapter eight, on that day, on that day, underline that phrase, on that day, did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen? And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. On that day. What day? What's it referring to? Well, it's really referring to the events of chapter seven. 
In chapter seven, Esther now has a second banquet. And if you read that chapter, when you go home, you'll find out that in that second banquet, Haman is there and the king is there. And through that process of the banquet, it's amazing at what strength that Esther had. Here she reveals to the king that he has sent out a decree. That decree is found in chapter three. And we've talked about it two or three times in this series of sermons. But this decree had gone out for the entire Jewish people to be destroyed in the month of Adar. The day had been planned. Everything had been set in order. And the king's decree could not be revoked, nor could it be reversed. It was something that was irrevocable. And anything that had gone forth with the king's signature and sealed by the king's ring signet, then it was in writing and that could not be changed. So here they've, they've developed this plan together, Mordecai and Esther, for Esther had come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther now has this plan that she reveals to the king who she is, that she's really a Jew. And therefore, if you annihilate the Jews, you annihilate me as your queen and your wife. Then it dawns on him in anger that he has sent out a decree that was deceptive because really he let Haman write the decree and he put his signature to it, if you will, in chapter three. Haman worded it. Haman said that all of the Jews, children, women, Men, they were all to be destroyed. And not only were they to be destroyed, but everything they had, they were to take it prey. In other words, it would be a spoil to them. So they not only took their life, they took all their possessions, everything they had worked for, and it would be distributed among those that gathered together to take the life of the Jewish people. And she said, if that decree goes forward, then I will be destroyed as well. The king was absolutely filled with anger. He goes out into the garden. And when he goes out into the garden, he's pondering, how could this be? But he made the mistake that oftentimes we as people make as well. You sign something without reading it. And really, he let it go out and he thought it was a kind gesture to Haman and he had put Haman as his right hand man and he trusted Haman, why shouldn't he trust him now? But he didn't know what was being devised and now it's come back until what he has sown he is now about to reap and he knows he can't go back on his word. If the king goes back on his word, nothing else he says will ever have any meaning. So he can't go back on what he has already put in writing. So it leaves him with a real problem. So he's outside and this anger is filling him. And the anger gets so great inside of him that finally he returns to confront Haman. But in the meantime, when he comes back, Haman realizes the king is wroth. He's already in fear because once that Mordecai was elevated to the place that he was, he knew that the king, he thought he already was aware of what was going on, but now he knows for sure that the king realizes I have deceived him and he's going to take care of me. And he comes back in, but Haman did something that 
that while it seems so simple, he, he lays down on the bed with Esther. Now don't get the wrong idea. The word bed in chapter seven is not a bed that you lay down on to go to sleep. When they would dine at banquets, it was almost like an extended couch that, that they would lay down on, lay on one side, and they would eat as they lay there in that couch or bed. So he comes and falls on the bed and begs of Esther. And when the king comes in, he sees Haman lying on the bed of Esther. That did it. So he speaks to his chamberman and he says, what, what, uh, what do we have outside? Said we have a, a gallow that's 75 feet tall, 50 cubits tall. It was built to hang Mordecai on. He said, hang Haman on it. On that day, the day that Haman died, on that day, he gives Esther the keys to Haman's house on the day that Haman dies. So since Haman had devised this plan to get everything from the Jews, he can't go back on his word. Haman is hung. He takes the keys to Haman's house, gives that to Esther. Then Esther reveals to to him that Mordecai, the one that you have just honored, Mordecai is my relative. Now there's a lot of debate over the fact what his relationship was. From chapter two and verse seven, we know that Esther was raised by Mordecai. We know that there's a phrase that says his uncle's daughter. And basically there's two things that can be surmised from that. If you take it literally, because it's in, set inside of commas, they're referring that Mordecai was the uncle and she was the daughter. Others say no, really she is his cousin because that is his uncle's daughter. But regardless, he was older, he took her in, he raised her, she was orphaned, her parents, uh, they, they, they are now dead. He's taken on the responsibility of raising her and he brings her in, raises her up. Then we see how God brings this plan together. Now your, in, your interpretation is fine. I believe that Mordecai was her uncle. Do I have any others? Okay, okay, the rest of you don't care, do you? But don't miss this part. Here's the important part. She said, you have not only saved my life, but you have saved the life of my uncle, the man you just honored. Otherwise you would have honored him, then turned around and killed him. Do you see the dilemma? So the king is relieved in the fact. So the king has taken the keys to Haman's house. And by the way, this is all a picture to us as well. Thank God there was somebody else that took the keys to the enemy's house and gave the keys to us. And his name is Jesus. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive now and forevermore, amen, and have the keys of death and of hell. Aren't you glad that the Lord could look to Peter and say, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. And just as he gave the keys of the kingdom to Peter, he's given it to each one of us to say, our enemy is already conquered. The Lord has already written the end of his story and we are victorious and the devil will not win. Thank God, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Now you've got the basis of what's happened. 
She not only gets the keys, but Haman gets elevated, Mordecai gets elevated to the point where that now he is put over the house of Haman. Get this right. The devil isn't over you. You're over the devil. The devil doesn't have authority over you as a believer. You have authority in Jesus Christ over the devil. Now that's important. All of you, all of you that are college age and below, please listen to me. I wish I could come to you with a message of cheer and joy about the condition of this world. But this world is sliding into evil faster than what any of us that are older could have ever imagined. It continues to slide into evil. And we're on the end of the journey. I don't know when God will call me. I don't know when God will call you. But I know that there are fewer days in front of me than what has been behind me. And I'm on the end of the journey. And I've seen the evil that exists through my lifetime. But unfortunately, it's not going to be anything like the evil that you're going to face. And there's only one thing you can do when you face evil. You've got to remember the one that has authority. Do you know constantly that's all they kept asking when Jesus was on this earth? They, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it was always the same, same story. By what authority hath this man? By what authority does this man do these things? Referring to Jesus. And Jesus said, before that he left to his disciples, he said, the authority that I have, the authority is not you, and really the authority is not in anything that you have done. The authority is in me, but I will be in you. Therefore, if he is in us, we have authority. So as the days get worse and worse, I also have good news. There is power in Jesus Christ that is greater than any plan that the devil can devise. And the Lord has all authority. So we see he's now put in authority. Don't misunderstand your position as a believer. You are not weak. You're not going under. You're not down and out. You have not lost. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Some of you aren't excited about that. We are more than conquerors through Christ. What do you do when sickness comes? You take authority through Jesus. Doesn't do any good to pray if you don't believe he can do anything about it. You take the authority there. What do you do when fear grips your heart? You take authority over that and say, God is with me. I don't have to fear evil. The Lord is with me and he can do anything. Well, I just got to the introduction and I'm already out of time. Let let me break it down real quick, this chapter. Verses three through six. When you read it, you'll find out. Now, this is amazing to me. Esther is so wise and so strong. She plans two banquets. She sets Haman up. She has wisdom from God. That is amazing. And she found it 
when after chapter three, her people are in mourning and fasting and weeping and they're in, they're in despair. But in the middle of despair, she found strength from God. There's things that come that it'll knock the wind out of you. But you still have God on your side. And the Lord sees the end of all of it. She devises all that. She's wise enough to, to set up these banquets to get everything in the right place by God's help and God's plan. But when you get to first, verse three through five, everything changes. She falls down. She's now weeping. She's crying. She is pleading. Verses three through five, you'll find Esther pleading. Pleading for her people. Pleading in the fact that in verse five, said, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews which are in the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? She pleads. Now I may not get any further than this one point, but all of you, please catch this. She just got the keys to the enemy's house. She just got the belongings that the enemy had accumulated in all of his days. And we know from what we've studied in the past, he had great riches. She now has assured her uncle at a seat to be at the right hand of the king, which had previously been the spot of Haman. So now, her uncle has taken the place of where the enemy used to sit. You know, that's what you are today. Every one of us that's a believer, that's why the devil hates us. We took his job. He is an unemployed loser. He didn't get temporarily laid off. He got fired. No longer does he lead the worship. We do. No longer does he lead the praises of heaven. We do. We took his place. <laughs> and he just soaks in all of these riches. But can I remind you, in the end, we get it all back. Everything is coming back. Everything the devil has taken wrongfully. Everything is accumulated in the kingdoms of the world. All God's children get it back in the end. She's pleading. Said reverse these letters. He can't reverse the letters. What he has written is written. So when you get to verses seven and eight, the king responds. If you read it closely, it's almost like he's a little irritated. Like, what else do you want me to do for you? Woman, don't you know I just hung your enemy? I've given Esther the house of Haman and him they've hung on the gallows and because he laid his hand on the Jews. So what he did before, he does again. He turned 
to Haman the first time and said, write the decree. Verse eight, write ye, doesn't say that he wrote it. Write ye also for the Jews as it liketh you in the king's name and seal it with the king's ring for the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Now that's important. He's saying two things here. First of all, you know what the first writing said. You know what the first ordinance against you was. So you're gonna to have to write another ordinance, ordinance, another decree, that it cannot cancel the first decree, but there is a way, but you write it, you seal it, in other words, you write it, I'll sign it. That's basically what he's doing. <laughs> I don't know if I can go here today or not. Uh, there's some services, you know, people come awake and there's some services, people's just there. I'm glad you're here, but... Let me put it this way. Jesus can do anything. And he has all power. And he can change anything. They sing about it today. He can change anything. But you write the order. You write your story. You're gonna to have to let the enemies know what's gonna happen. Now, this is a real problem, isn't it? The king responds, and when you get to, get to verses nine through 14, you have what this, what this decree was. I know a lot of you, you've been out of school a lot of years and you hate it, and kids that's in school, they hate it, and young people that's in college, they hate it, but I'm giving you homework. Today or this week, read verses 9 through 14, and then also, if you're taking notes, go back to chapter 3 and read chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. 3, verses 12 through 15 is the first decree. These verses contain the second decree. Look how the wording is so similar in both. So similar. Now, you know, if I was writing that and there was a way, I would have just written first decree canceled. I would have repealed it. You know, that's what we do with a bad bill. We repeal it. We take it off the books. Now, that's what I would have done. But you see, you couldn't do that because the king's decrees are unalterable. They're irrevocable. You can't just repeal it. You have to write a second decree that is better than the first decree. So basically, it's sent to the same provinces. It starts in Shushan. It's written in the month of Sivan. The month of Sivan is eight or nine months before the month that this is to occur, so they have an amount of time to be able to prepare 
And the difference is we can't get rid of that decree that says on that month, the Jews can be killed and they can be taken as spoils. Everything they have, you can get. But it's not a loophole. It's a greater decree. The second decree that went out says this. And by the way, the first decree didn't mention what the Jews can do. If you read the first decree alone, the Jews are helpless and hopeless and there's no need to do anything because they're all destined for death. So it doesn't do them any good to do anything. The second degree, decree deals with the Jews and they said, by the way, the Jews can come together, gather together before. That's why you better get together. You better make sure you're part of the family. You can do a whole lot more together than you can by yourself. And said, you can gather together and this is what you can do. You can defend yourself. There was no mention of defense in the first decree. The Jews were to be annihilated, but it didn't say anything about the Jews being able to retaliate. And really what he is doing is saying, the Jews, what you need to do is have a preemptive strike. You need to strike the enemy before they strike you. And by the way, things have changed now. Haman is dead. The ones that they feared, he's no longer there. Since he's no longer the leader, they don't feel compelled to fight. They have no drive to fight. And now you've got a new leader and the people that wanted to kill you are now afraid of you because of Mordecai's position and that I'm married to Esther, his relative. So they write this decree and also they say, this is important. This is important. They said, and you can take a prey from those that came to kill you. When you do the same to them, this is a decree of defense. You can defend yourself. There was no defense in the first decree. But now you can defend yourself. And when you defend yourself, once you win, you can take prey or spoil of them. Before it was, they were gonna kill the Jews and take spoil of the Jews. Now the Jews can kill them and take spoil from them. You can now defend yourself. You're no longer defenseless. That decree changed everything. Because before, they had to die without hope and no way to rise up. How long are we gonna let the devil convince us that we are under the old decree? When Jesus wrote a new ordinance that says now you've got a defense, now you can rise up, you're not destined to death. It is not just death. You are destined to life, life more abundantly, life in Christ Jesus. No longer are you just facing death. Now you have life. You can defend yourself. It's a terrible thing to go into battle and not have a defense and not be able to defend yourself. It kind of reminds me when Saddam Hussein went into hiding 
and his military, which they had so valiantly gone in to overthrow another nation, when they realized the leader was gone and that all of this coalition of nations, including America, had come to the defense of Kuwait, then suddenly they leave their tanks. They leave their weapons and they run for the hills. You're gonna have to get this right in your head. While you sit around and worry about the devil and what he's doing, and that's all we spend our time focusing on, I have this, I have that, I face this, I face that. When you start to turn around and say, that's nothing compared, devil, to what you're facing. No comparison. So they knew that decree changed everything. So in verses three through six, you have Esther, Esther pleads. Verses seven through eight, the king responds. Verses nine through 14, you've got the decree is issued. But verses 15 through 17, and Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Go back and see what they had in chapter four and verse three. Mourning and weeping and wailing. Now they have this light Gladness and joy and honor and in every providence, in every city, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. One decree changed everything. Instead of dying, they have a party. Instead of crying, they're rejoicing. Instead of dying, they're dancing. Everywhere they get the news. Why? Because Esther, even though she had been given all of that, Mordecai had been given all of that, their plea was simple. We're not satisfied. Yes, king, we appreciate what you did, but it's not about me. It's about my family. It's about my kinfolk. You can't rejoice in the fact that just you're saved as long as you've got unsaved loved ones. We've got to reach them as well and tell them that they need Christ. But yet we come with a good message to them. They started rejoicing when they heard the word. Now, Cal, why are you so worked up about that? You are eight months before they ever kill them. And they're already having a party like we won. That means they're acting like they won the game and they've never started the game yet. But they're acting like they've already won. <laughs> you know what we ought to start doing? Start acting like we're already in heaven before we get there. We ought to already start acting over the fact we've not lost, 
We've won. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said. We are already winners. We're not losers. We're not on the wrong side of this thing. We're on the right side. And we rejoice in the fact the devil is defeated. He is a liar. He is overcome. And when we got the word that Jesus said, he'll save us, bring us into the family, and give us heaven at the end. That's all that we needed. Just his word. They rejoiced before the battle. I know I've got to close. I didn't get covered what I wanted to. They rejoiced before the battle. Why then do we have to always wait until we win around to rejoice? And when you get in that habit of only rejoicing when something good happens, they just heard that something good is going to happen. They still had to fight. They still had a battle in front of them, but they knew the Lord was on their side. If you get in that habit of waiting on God to do something good before you praise him, that's a bad habit. God's not looking for a group of people that will praise him only when they get everything they want. God's looking for a group of people that says, it looks like we're down right now. And it looks like we're losing right now. And it looks like Satan is winning out right now. But we've read the back of the book. And we know that we are victorious through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's time for us to start practicing up for heaven and saying, Lord, I'm gonna thank you down here right now. Just like I'm in heaven, standing before you there, praising you for all that you've done. So why are we doing what we're doing? Because we're not happy with just us being saved. And we're not happy with us having victory. We want you to be in the family. We want you to be saved. That's why we say, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. But at the same time, we're thinking, Lord, give us just one more service, one more opportunity to win our loved ones to Christ. Christ. 